I've heard it said by skeptics when they want to ridicule people who don't share that same mindset where they ridicule the idea of an open mind and they say well if you have an open mind then anything can come in there and the idea is that being scientists and being rational they don't let any old crap come in they're very discerning about what they allow in the reasoning behind this if we can call it reasoning is that once you allow ideas to come in that aren't scientific that somehow your intellectual discernment disappears in other words they see science and the skepticism as synonymous with being intelligent rational and logical now it's not you can have any view you want you can have a religious view you can even have ridiculous religious views and still be have a certain rationality and certain kinds of logic there's simply different types of logic that people employ and certain and certain assumptions that people make now i would argue that the so-called skeptical mindset has actually fallen into the very trap that they're talking about once they brought in this you could almost say a virus of, of scientific thinking they've closed their mind off to anything else they've lost that discernment and that ability to use rationality in any other way outside of the scientific assumptions and it's not a method of thinking it's the assumptions that are different now after the second world war the Nuremberg trials were held so that the higher echelons of the Nazi party could be hold, held responsible for the atrocities that happened and the overwhelming defence which wasn't accepted was that they were simply obeying orders. Now during the 1960s psychologists were very interested in finding out why people could respond like that why people could do such appalling things simply by obeying orders the prevailing view was that this was a characteristics of the german mentality now stanley milgram was a student of psychology at the time and he devised a rather devious experiment to see whether ordinary Americans would obey orders in the same way and he was expecting that they wouldn't. Now like many of these psychology experiments they advertise for students at the university who think they're participating in one kind of experiment but actually the real psychology experiment is something totally different. And the, the students who, who applied they were told that this was an experiment in teaching using pain. They were going to have two participants. One was the experimental student and the other was the experimental teacher. And they were taken into a room where there's a series of buttons and, and, and lights. And they were shown this room and then they're shown the, the, another room behind it where the person sits down and they have some electrodes attached to their wrist and that they did this with both students to, to show them what was happening 
And when uh, a button is pressed, a mild electric current was given to the to the participant. And they drew lots to find out who was going to be the experimental student, who was going to be the experimental teacher. But actually it was rigged. The so-called experimental te uh, student was an actor who was placed in the room. So the experimental student is then put in front of this series of, of uh, switches and they're given some questions to read out. They ask the question, the person on the other side of the, of, of the barrier uh, then answers the question and if he answers wrongly they are told to increase the voltage. And the voltages were laid out, mild, um, mild, uh, uh, small shock, medium shock, large shock, intense shock, death. And they were told to keep increasing it so long as the student got the wrong answer. Now, of course, the student on the other side of the, of the war was actually an actor and there was no real shocks involved. So the students started off and most of them they get to a certain point because the actor on the other side is saying oh that hurts oh I've got a, a problem on oh look I'm gonna have a heart attack and really intense pain and crying out and the student would ask the person monitoring the experiment and say well look you know I can't go on he's, he's obviously in pain and the experimenter was uh, was given a script of what they had to say and at the first they'd say no you have to continue uh, it's important that you go on and so on and so on and 80% of the students continued right up until the point of death and of course there was no death at all uh, the, the, the experiment has been condemned you know as being um, unethical and today probably wouldn't be allowed but it was very illustrative of how people behave and the experimenters were shocked that so many people went through to the end they were never told anything other than no you have to continue which is obviously rubbish they didn't have to continue at all so it would seem that the response of the Nazis at the Nuremberg trial where they said they were just obeying orders wasn't something that was just confined to the um, to the Germans it was actually uh, built in to a certain, to certain types of people in his commentary on the experiment Milgram made a very interesting point he said that once you relinquish your conscience you can't go back or it's incredibly difficult to go back people do but it's very difficult you keep making excuses to yourself you cut yourself off from that part of the conscience and then you say well I'm not responsible it's somebody else that's responsible well in a way when people follow ideologies whether this is a sceptical and so-called scientific ideology or whether it's an extreme religious ideology or whatever it is they have done the same thing 
they've relinquished any real understanding uh, and just said, oh no, this is how scientists think or this is what the Bible says or even this is what the Quran says. Now, as I said before, science and logic and rational thinking are not the same thing. They simply start from different assumptions. And if you read some of the um, discussions that the Jews have about the Torah or Islamic studies where they go into very subtle aspects of um, Islamic jurisprudence and so on, these are logical and rational, uh, intensely so sometimes. They simply start from different assumptions. So when people talk about logic and rationality, what do they mean? Now, deductive logic makes certain assumptions. If X is so and Y is so, then Z must be so. If all cats have fur and this is a cat, then this must have fur. We are not talking here about the assumptions about whether all cats have fur or whether this is a cat. We are simply saying logically that that must be the case. Now, this isn't a comment about the world. You know, people say, oh, the world works logically. No, it doesn't. It's simply a comment on language. It's a comment on our use of words. Logic is only as good as your assumptions. And when people say they are scientific and therefore they think logically, this is absolute nonsense. Their assumptions are all up the, up the crap and half the time they don't know what logic is anyway. And tied to this, of course, we get the use of the word rational. Now, rational is a completely meaningless word or it's it's not meaningless, or rather it has a meaning that people want to ascribe to it. Everybody thinks that they are being rational, and the other person isn't. Well, there's no criteria for rationality. There are people who call themselves rationalists, who don't believe in God. But this is simply because they start from certain assumptions, and they can give themselves an air of intelligence by calling themselves rational, in the same way as scientists or people of a scientific thinking try and give themselves an air of intelligence by saying they think logically. Most of the people who claim to follow science and logic don't really understand what science is, and they don't understand what logic is. Now, it gets back to something that I've talked about before called relational and instrumental understanding. Nowadays, we don't teach people how to think. We only teach them information. And once you've been brought up that such and such is true and you don't know why you believe such and such is true, you've shifted your way of thinking that I was referring to earlier where you block out anything that tries to question your, your, your beliefs, your assumptions. You know, it's a common refrain when you listen to these so-called rational people and they say, oh, well, the, pe the reason why people believe in God or an afterlife or so on 
is because it's, it feels good, you know. And the idea is that these people have moved away from this primitive way of thinking about feeling good and they've moved into this rational area where they're being objective. Now, this is absolute crap. If you've spent five years studying and more working uh, with an assumption of a particular belief system, you have a lot invested in that belief system. And if somebody comes along and tries to question it, you are not going to let go. You have far too much invested in it. You like to believe, in fact, you have to believe that your way of thinking is correct. Because the cost of that is like the person who's been obeying orders and suddenly has to turn around and say, well, what have I done? They have to face up to the consequences of their actions. They can't just blame them on a particular person or a belief system. Now, this mindset relates back to what I call instrumental and relational understanding. If you know only certain facts and uh, you defend those facts because you don't really know why you believe them, Whereas somebody with a more inquiring mind who has a relational understanding will step back from the facts and look at how, the th how everything hangs together. But of course scientists are trained to accept a certain pa paradigm. Doctors are trained in a certain paradigm and so on. Religious people as well. An aspect of this which is predominant in sceptical websites and when you talk to sceptics is arguing techniques. There's whole websites which they devote to arguing techniques. So rather than listening to the content and actually trying to understand what the other person's trying to say, you have a whole series of excuses as to why you should reject that argument. In fact, without even bothering to, to try and understand it. Because when you try and understand it, you are as it were, letting in that crap, or so they think, which will contaminate your thoughts. So you mustn't go there. So you have to have a filter that can keep out these ways of thinking. And arguing techniques are, are like that. For instance, if the person you're arguing with uses a non-scientific term or uses it in the wrong way, you can immediately according to these people, reject what you're hearing because the person doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, it may be it may be nothing to do with the actual argument, uh, but it gives you an excuse to reject what the person's saying. And these techniques are used. I've even had arguments over the web with people where I've misspelled a word or spelled a word differently that they think it should be. And they don't even look at what I've said. They simply pick up on this word and say, well, you obviously don't know what you're talking about because you misspelled this or you used wrong punctuation or something like that. It gives them an excuse to reject what you're saying. And the sceptical literature on the web is filled with these kind of things. Martin Gardner, way back, gave 10 points, I think it was, as to why you should reject... Uh, pseudo, a pseudoscientist and, and one of them was oh, if they use uh, language and they don't use proper technical terms well the point is about a lot of these cranky scientists they, have, they may come up with very good ideas but because they didn't go to university and learn in the conventional way they haven't learned the scientific ways of thinking and the scientific terminology 
It doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong. It just means that they can't express themselves in the same way. But for Martin Gardner and his uh, and the people who followed him, and of course the, the world's filled with them, um, that's a good enough reason. You can reject what they're saying. So the the this is really nothing to do with science. It's nothing to do with understanding. It's a way of rejecting ideas that you don't accept. Another example is simply looking at the credentials of the person. Now there may be some merit in this sometimes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that what the person's saying is wrong, simply because they didn't go to university or haven't got a, a degree. And of course the irony of this is that many scientists talk outside of their field, uh, but people still give them that, um, that kudos. Richard Dawkins, for instance, he's writing and talking about philosophy. He's not a philosopher, he's never studied philosophy so far as I know, and he certainly has got no qualifications in it. And yet, people give him credibility. And of course, if somebody comes along with spiritual ideas, uh, they immediately ask, where are your qualifications? If you're talking about anything to do with the body, well, you have to have qualifications in medicine. There's a hypocrisy here. Right from an early age, we bring children up with presuppositions and assumptions. In schools in America, apparently they're not allowed to teach religion. But they, ha but they will teach um, so-called Darwinianism. Now, Darwinianism is simply a religion, because atheism is a religion, and I'll talk about this later. It's simply based on different assumptions. Um, so why are they allowed to teach nonsense about, prob about randomness and a lot of assumptions that Darwinians make, uh, and yet they can't talk about religion? Another aspect of this scientific or so-called scientific approach is that it totally disregards any morality and the consequences of their actions. Everything becomes a kind of game. And of course, we were talk, I was talking earlier about the Second World War and it reached its peak there, where they would perform experiments on live people completely un, unfazed, unperturbed by anything they were doing morally. We have obvious ways, like weapons of war and so on, but in technology, we are using it to control people. Like in China, they are controlling their population using technology. And I can imagine an economic crash and ways used of controlling people to give them an economy based on a number, where you're given a number, and you can't buy or sell except with that number. This is what's happening in China. And the problem with this control is really is what I'm going to get to in another talk. But it's using technology in quite sinister ways to stifle individuality. This is a result of this same thinking of thinking in terms of science and therefore well you don't have to take responsibility science says this is okay now i'm not going to go so far as to say that scientists are like the germans who were at nuremberg but there are certain parallels in this thinking inside of 
confines of a box and then blaming your system of thinking rather than taking responsibility. Thank you for listening. You can leave comments on my Podbeam page. You can email me, phil at braham.net. You can visit my website, podcasts.braham.net. And I hope to hear back from you. Thank you.